today we actually wrap up um, our Romans Foundations series. Now, if you've been tracking along with this, you know this has been four weeks. You could spend a year in Romans. But what we've been trying to do in this series is give some theological foundational perspective for the Christian life. So we haven't been digging into every truth in Romans, but trying to give this 10,000-foot view of, of these foundational issues. And, and here's what we've had so far. Okay? These are, these are the foundational things that we've discovered in Romans. Week one, we discovered this, this truth. Humanity is fallen. Sin is real, and it infects all of us. The fall happens, and with the fall, there is a fracture between us and the God of the universe. And it's unmistakable, and it's deep. And because of that fracture, what that means is that not one of us is righteous before God. Not one of us can stand before a holy God on our own merits and say, God, aren't we good enough for you? Right? Like, we're good people. I mean, I'm a good person. Aren't we good enough? None of us can stand. We read that truth in, in Romans 1 um, through 3. We read this truth that none of us are able to stand before a holy God and say, God, we're good enough. You should accept us as we are. You should take us in based on our own righteousness. We are good enough for you to, to bring into your family, into your throne room, into heaven. It just can't happen. And then in week two, Pastor David opened this up for us. No, actually, Pastor David had week one. In week two, I, we talked about the fact that salvation, though, is available to all people in Christ. It's the truth that that even though none of us can stand before God and say, God, we're good enough, even though there is something deeply, devastatingly broken in us that, that refuses to let us come to God, it just gets in the way of us coming to God because he loves us so much. He sends his one and only son who lives a perfect life, Jesus Christ, who dies on the cross, who is resurrected, who pays the penalty for our sinfulness, who conquers death, and that salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is given to all people who believe in him. And then we keep going foundationally and we keep looking at, okay, well, what's next? Well, what's next is this grand thing called justification. In week three, Mark from YFC was here in Youth for Christ and he shared with us that, that in Christ, you are, when you trust Christ and you come to God by grace through faith in Christ and you rest in him that you are justified and justified is a legal term that means when god looks at you you are legally cleared of the charges of sin god doesn't see your sin anymore he doesn't see your sin anymore you are forgiven even when you mess up. Mark made that statement last week. He, he shared that powerful truth that when you understand who you are in Christ, you understand that you are forgiven and that God looks at you as friend and son or daughter, even when you make a mistake. It doesn't change because you are justified. And then we read one more today. One more foundational truth that we'll dig into today, and it's basically this. Anyone who has been justified will naturally be sanctified. 
Sanctified is the process where you grow up in your faith. Sanctified is the process where you start to act more and more like Jesus and less and less like the person you used to be. Anybody that is justified will be sanctified. Justification is full for every believer. Sanctification will vary depending on how seriously you take your faith. When I was, when I was a student, I, I used to be smart. Something happened. I don't know. But I used to be smarter than I am now. And when I was a student, I, I found that I got really good grades if I tried hard. So for a long time, I tried really hard. And then one day I had an idea. I wonder what would happen if I stopped trying so hard. And so I did. And guess what? I still got good grades. Right? I was a really good student, and I tried hard, and I got good grades. And then I thought, you know what? This trying hard kind of stinks, and I want to hang out with my friends, and TV is awesome. And we got an Atari. Thank you. Right? And then we got a Nintendo with the DNA-activated cartridges that you have to blow in before they work. <laughs> right? Um, but this was the thing. I was like, you know what? I don't want to try that hard anymore, but I still got good grades until I went to college. When I went to college, it turns out that, that you actually have to do some work. You can only fake it so much. And I remember um, getting by my freshman year. When I say getting by, getting by, right? Like it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It was just blah. But then I remember getting into my sophomore year when all of my classes started to matter. They were the classes that had to do with my major. And, and I remember my, my first education class and I remember um, the first major test in my first education class, and I remember failing it something fierce. I got a 43% on a test, and this is my, my professor who doesn't know me at all, who calls me into his office, um, and I go into his office, and I sit down, and he explains to me that, you know what, son? College might not be for you. No joke, Randy, Randy Hangstrom, um, I sit down, and, and we go over the thing, and he's like, yeah, 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 you, you did not do well. Um, in fact, like, you did worse than anybody else in the class did. In fact, you did worse than anybody else in the six sections of this class that I teach did. And this is intro stuff for your major, and if you can't get it right here, then perhaps this isn't for you. In fact... Maybe college is not for you. And I said to him, I said, but Dr. Bankstrom, I'm a good student. And I remember, like, the, the fierceness and the gravity of the words that he said to me next uh, really were very helpful for me, um, but very telling. Here's what he said, and act like it. I said, but I'm a good student. I can do this. And he says, well, then act like it. And, and this idea of sanctification, that's what that is for the Christian life. You are accepted by God through Christ just as you are. But as a Christian, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you ought to grow in your faith. 
And the Holy Spirit in a lot of us, in a lot of us, I'm not pointing fingers, me too, guys, in a lot of us, the Holy Spirit is screaming at us, living inside of us, saying, act like it. <laughs> because you can only fake it for so long. And going through the motions is only going to get you so far. And so like, like Dr. Bankstrom, you know, he's, he's like, hey, you know what, maybe this isn't for you. I said, but I swear to you, I'm a good student. You know, and, and so maybe, maybe for some of us, maybe the answer is, look, maybe you're not justified in Christ because maybe you're not trusting him. I mean, you know that better than I do. Are you really trusting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Have you really put your life in his hands? Have you really said, my way of salvation is through the cross of Christ? Or are you still trusting other stuff like your baptism and your Sunday school attendance and your church attendance and how much money you give to the church, all great stuff. But if you're trusting the wrong stuff, then, then, you know, maybe the question is, are you really, is this really for you? Are you really a Christian? And if you're saying, yes, I trust Jesus Christ. I trust the cross of Christ. It's for me. I have accepted Christ by grace through faith. I am a Christian. Then the Holy Spirit might be screaming in you. Then act like it. This is the process by which we grow up. Okay? And, and here's just the truth. Oh, man. A Christian's new life mandates how they live and how they treat others. Listen, if you are new in Christ, then that new life will mandate how you live, and that new life will mandate how you treat people. That's just the way that this is, right? Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you are to grow, and that's what works. And so we're going to see this unpacked as we get um, further into Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to start in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. That word, and so, uh, the word therefore, basically what that means is, hey, in light of all this other stuff that we've talked about, and what that means is, in light of this foundational truth that we already discussed, in light of the fact that you are part of a fallen race, in light of the fact that salvation is given freely through the person of Jesus Christ to those who accept and follow him, in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit will now transform you into a justified, legally debt-free follower of Christ, and, and in light of all of that, in light of that truth, therefore, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, be sanctified. That's what he means, but here's what he says. I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Don't sit there and question why you should have to. I can't tell you the number of conversations that when I was younger I had with myself or the number of conversations I have with other people in my office where they ask the question of, if I am good in Christ, if I am accepted in Christ, if I am sealed for eternity, then why do I have to? Why do I have to act different than I used to? Why do I have to share my faith? Why do I have to study the Bible? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to grow more and more like Jesus? Why do I need to ruthlessly cut sin out of my life? Why do I have to? I should be good. Here's the deal. This is what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. 
He has shed his blood for you. So Paul says, man, let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable because that's truly the way to worship him. You know what this is talking about here? This is talking about making yourself and the way that you think, the way that you behave, the way that you interact with other people. It's about making yourself a living sacrifice. Think about what that means. So, so in the Old Testament, and Paul's talking now um, to people that would understand the frame, right? The framework. In the Old Testament, if I wanted to be acceptable to God in the moment, I would take an animal, a lamb, a goat, heifer, whatever. I would take an animal, and the animal um, would symbolically be sacrificed to satisfy the penalty that should have been on me temporarily. So that, that animal would die, and the cleansing of the blood would cover me for a moment. And God would be able to say, okay, Matt, for now, you are acceptable to me because of that sacrifice. But in Christ, we don't need to make temporary sacrifices because Jesus is the perfect sinless, spotless lamb who dies on the cross for us, takes away the sins of the world, and it's, it's done. He says on the cross, he says, man, it is finished. It is done. Right? And so I don't need to make an animal sacrifice anymore. But Paul says, but you're not done with sacrifices. No, 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 no. You're not finished with sacrifices. You can't just forget about this because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, but you still have to do your part. And here's your part. You offer yourself now in Christ as a living sacrifice. You're not giving up your life, but you're giving up your life. This is what Jesus means when he says, you know what, Christian, here's what you want to do. You want to follow me? Here's what you do. You die every day to yourself. You are a living sacrifice. You don't physically die, but you give it all up every day as a living sacrifice. And then he says this, man, he says that's what he finds acceptable, and that's truly the way to worship him. This is lifestyle worship. When you die to yourself every day and you present yourself as a living sacrifice to the God of the universe, what that means is that everything you do, your thoughts, your behavior, your interactions with other people, the way that you feel, right? Everything is committed to following God. Will it be perfect? Absolutely not. Of course it won't be perfect. Can't be perfect. We're broken people. Can't be perfect. Right? That's, why, that's why when Jesus is teaching, um, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And part of that is him teaching them every day you ask for forgiveness. Why? Because you always make mistakes. But as someone who is a living sacrifice, you are always asking forgiveness, and you are always pushing forward. And that is truly the way to worship him. And guess what? To truly worship in that way, you do not have to be here. You should be here Sunday mornings. We should gather together to worship corporately. But if you are waiting for Sunday mornings to live a life of worship, then you are doing it wrong. I mean, and let's be honest, it's summer. So if you're waiting for Sunday mornings to truly engage in a life of worship, then you're hitting it, well, like once every other week. 
once a month for some of us. You know, maybe this is the first time this summer, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's not a matter of we're, we're actively engaging in worship when we show up together. That's true. We are corporately. But Paul says, man, if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, then what you're doing is you are having a lifestyle of worship, and you are engaged in worship every single moment of every single day. And that's what God finds acceptable. That's what God finds acceptable. And then he keeps going, right? He says, so don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. You're like, okay, Matt, how do I offer myself as a living sacrifice? That all sounds fine. How do I do it? Well, this is how you do it. Be different. I mean, we want complicated formulas. It's not a complicated formula, right? Be different. Don't copy the customs and behavior of the rest of the world. But let God transform you into a new person. How? Well, here's the deal. God will actually change the way that you think. That's what God will do for you. He'll change the way that you think. You're like, but, but Matt, I, I'm too selfish. Or I, 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 you know, I don't really like people that much. Or I, I just, I like these wrong things a little bit too much. And, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, so I've got to get myself cleaned up. I've got to fix it, right? I've got to, I've got to lock it in. I've got to try harder. I've got to do better. I've got to get it all working for me. I've, I've got to stop it. I've got to do different. And here's the thing. What, what Paul says is, man, when you commit to offering yourself to God, right, when you spend time with him, he will actually change the way that you think. See, a lot of times we sit back and, and, and you hear Pastor Dave or you hear myself say, look, here, here's the deal. Look, reading the Bible won't save you. Christ will save you. That's true. You're like, prayer doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. Right? Showing up on Sunday mornings at church, that doesn't save you. Only Jesus Christ will save you. Right? Being a part of saturate or small groups, those things won't save you. Only Jesus Christ saves you. I mean, we say it over and over again. Submitting yourself to baptism doesn't save you. Only Jesus Christ saves you. Those are true statements. But we're talking there about justification. Yes, only Jesus Christ and only faith in him will make you legally free from sin. But the reason we say those other things matter is because that's how this works. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Instead... Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. This is why we tell you, look, even if you don't feel like it, even as Christians, there will be times where we don't feel like it. What do we say? Still get plugged in. Matt, I don't feel like reading my Bible every morning. Guess what? Read your Bible every single day. But Matt, I don't feel like spending time in prayer, right? I, I don't feel like doing it. And I shouldn't have to do it if I don't feel like it. Then it's not genuine. I don't care. Spend time in prayer every single day. But Matt, I shouldn't have to show. I'm a Christian whether I come to church or not. I shouldn't have to show up at church. Yeah, I get it. But, but try to get here every single Sunday. And if you can't be here, if you're on vacation, guess what? Go somewhere else. Right? Because when you do those things, whether you feel like them or not, whether you think that way or not, when you do those things, what happens is this. This is the promise. God will transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. God is the one that does that in you and for you.
Have you ever tried to just convince yourself of something? Like just tried to convince yourself of something. This happens when Carrie and I argue. When Carrie and I argue, I know she's right, and I hate it. And so what I do is I work really hard to convince myself and her that I'm right. And even if my argument is better than hers, you ever, men, don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. Even if you can out-argue, even if your argument is better, you still know you're wrong. Right? You still know you're wrong. You still know you're wrong. And you can try to convince yourself. You can try to change it. You can try to do it, but you still know. Right? That's what happens with faith sometimes. Like, like we sit back and, and we try to say, well, I'll read the Bible when I'm ready. And so I say, okay, God, help me be happy about the Bible. Help me want to spend time in the Bible. I mean, I know there's a rerun of Friends on TV, and I know that I've got Scripture to read. And so, God, help me choose the right one. And I'm like, is today the day I feel like I want the Bible instead of TV? Nope, not today. TV's on, right? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I will feel it. And I wake up tomorrow, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know if you're like me, but Friends is on early in the morning, if you have cable, early in the morning, and then it's on again late at night. So you can literally watch it all the time instead of reading the Bible, right? So you wake up in the morning, and you're like, is this morning? Is this the time that I feel, feel like I want to be in the Bible? No? Okay, I'll watch TV again, but I hope I feel it later. And, and, and the point is, you're not going to feel it because you can't force yourself but here's the reality. You can be disciplined enough to do it. And when you're disciplined enough to do it, then what happens is God will start to change the way that you think. God will start to do that in you. But obedience is necessary. See, this is the rub with the Christian life between justification and sanctification. Obedience is not necessary for justification. Surrender is necessary for justification. You surrender to Christ. You say, God, I'm not worthy. There is sin in my life that I can't pay for. I believe that Jesus is real. I believe that he lived. I believe that he died. I believe that he's resurrected, and I want him to pay the penalty for my sin, and I want to give my life to him. That is surrender. But for, for sanctification, obedience is the key. Whether you feel it or not, that's why we sing that silly song, right? It's not silly. I, man, I, I just about offended some hymn lovers. The song's not silly. But we sing, trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way, right? There's no other way to do it, right? We have to trust and we obey whether we feel like it or not. And we trust that when we do that, God will transform. He will change me into a new person by changing the way that I think. And when that happens, we'll learn to know God's will, which is good and perfect and pleasing. Okay? And so we said this earlier. We said a Christian's life mandates how they live and treat others. And so we're going to take a look here just very quickly um, through the rest of chapter 12, and we're going to see some truths here. Um, a Christian's new life mandates and treat others. That's a true statement. Right? And so as you are continually transformed in the image of Jesus, though, what Paul says is here's how you'll know that's happening. He gives you markers to know that's happening. You're like, okay, so how do I know if it's really happening? Uh, maybe he'll make me a new person. What does that mean exactly? How will I know? Well, he tells us in the rest of Romans how to know. Here's how you know. When you are continually transformed in the image of Jesus, you're going to be people of unity and people of love. 
Those are the markers. Those aren't my markers. Those are the markers that Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, shares with us. He says, look, stop looking like everybody else. You've been justified. You're a Christian. Now act like it. Let God change the way you think. Dig into him. Spend time with him. Let him change the way you think. Let him transform you, and you'll know it's working when you become people of unity and you become people of love. And then he says this in, in, in 12.3. This is how he keeps this going. He says, so because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. And this is in context of relationships in the church and the togetherness in the church. Don't think that you're better than you really are. It's like, stop doing that, first of all. You, you want to grow? Stop doing this. You, you know, when, you, when you're really being transformed, you'll stop thinking you're better than you really are. You'll be honest in your evaluation. You'll measure yourself by the faith that God's given you. You'll be honest. And then he keeps going. He says, so just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with the whole um, body of Christ. We're many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other in his grace. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then he continues in the next couple of verses to say, like, some of you, you're really good at evangelizing. So guess what? Be evangelists. Doesn't mean that not everybody evangelizes. Everybody. It's part of the Great Commission that everybody is to be evangelizing. Everybody is to share Christ. Right? Everybody is to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. Everybody has that job. Some people, though, have a special gifting of this powerful evangelism. When they talk, when they share God's word, he just seems to bless them um, mightily and readily in that. And so the question isn't, should you be an evangelist? But the question is, if God has given you a special extra gift of that, everybody does it. But you lean into that. Don't think that you need to do something else. Instead do that, right? God's given some of you the gift of playing the guitar, and you're really good at it, right? Uh, Bethany was playing the guitar this morning. Val's playing the bass. They're good at it. He's given them that gift. God has not given me the gift of playing the guitar or understanding notes or knowing what a tune is or much less how to carry it. So you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to give up the gift that God has given me because chicks dig guitar. Like, Carrie, I can play the guitar. She's not going to care. One, I won't be good. Two, it dishonors God, right? Should I actively engage in the singing process during worship? Yes, everybody should. That's what we should do. We should worship together. So I do. But I'm not going to forfeit what God has called me to do to step into that role. I'm not going to crave it because it's on the stage and it's public. I'm not going to crave it. This is the point. Stop thinking of yourself better than you really are. Just be honest about where you're at. Be honest about how God has gifted you for the body and then do something about it. And that's striving for unity in the church. You're going to be part of the overall body. There are many of you here who, other than showing up on Sunday mornings, other than being here on a Sunday morning, and let's be honest, other than you coming here, sitting down and being a part of the worship and then going away, you're not actively a part of the body. You're not seeking unity in the body. You're coming to get something, and what you get, I hope, is good, and then you're going. But as you're sanctified, as you grow to be more and more like Christ, as you're transformed into a new person and he changes the way you think, you'll know that's working because you'll be interested in the body, and you'll be plugged into the body, and you'll be working in the body. 
You'll be plugged into groups. You'll be doing those things that will help transform you. We keep going. And then he says this, not only do we strive for unity, but we also strive for love. And he says, don't just pretend to love others. When we were looking at core values for for the merged church, back in December, January, um, maybe November, I don't remember how long ago it was, but, but when we were looking at core values for the new church, something that was ridiculously interesting to us, and it kept coming back in our prayers and our conversations and our study, we kept coming back to it, was this idea that we needed to be a body where there were no masks. We needed to be a church where people didn't feel like they had to, to put on a brave face to show up on a Sunday morning because their life is in shambles. Right? That we could stop pretending. But part of our stopping pretending means that, that we stop pretending to love people, but that something gets genuine in there. It means that I risk sharing with you and you stop pretending to love me, right? Stop giving me platitudes and that you love me. And that when you come to me, I do the same thing back to you. I mean, let's be honest. In your head, don't raise your hand because then you won't answer honestly, but think in your head. How many of you in the last week or two have told somebody or responded in a text or an email or a message or something to someone who shared a struggle, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'll be praying for you. Okay, now, now honesty time. How many of you really took the time, effort, and energy to actually pray? And I'd be willing to bet you that there's a wide gap between the platitude of, oh, yeah, 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 I'll pray for you, and the, you know what, God? I'm intervening on behalf of that person through a time of prayer that's intentional. You know, we, we tell people, hey, just tell me what you need, and I'll help. But then sometimes we're suspiciously absent when the need actually comes. Or we say, you know, we say to people, you know, with smiley faces that, oh, yeah, you know what, I'm with you and I'm for you and we're together and we're together and, 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 and everything is good. But then as soon as I walk away and I'm in a different group or context, I cut them down and I talk about them behind their back and I bring something that's, that's not unifying and it's not love. See, this is the problem. And, and so what, what Paul's saying here through the power of the Spirit is when you're being transformed, not only will you start to act in a way that unifies the body, but you'll also start to act in a way that's really, really loving. It's not kind of loving. It's not fake love. It's not platitude. It's not masks. It's genuine. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. When you... When you really are being transformed, you're going to hate what's wrong. And not, when we say hate what's wrong, there's no way that Paul's talking about people that are wrong. Because everybody's wrong sometimes. Everybody makes mistakes sometimes. Everybody's hard to get along with sometimes. It's not talking about people. It's saying, like, 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 but falseness, disunity, sin, he says, hate that. Hold tightly to what's right. Cling to what's good. He keeps going. Right? He says, love each other with genuine affection. Like, Matt, what does it look like? Well, be genuine. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Don't just pretend, but actually love with genuine affection. Genuine affection has teeth. 
They're not just words. But genuine affection means something. You know, one of the reasons why, uh, I think Shauna's downstairs with her kids, but one of the reasons why I love what Vince has started, what the other leaders have, and what Shauna is continuing through the other volunteers and support that she has is because you know who's better at this than we are? Our kids. Our kids are so much better at this than we are. They show genuine affection, and they take delight in honoring each other. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. They're not. You're not. Kids that are in here, you're not perfect. But you know what? They're better at it than we are. They take delight in honoring each other. They show genuine care and concern and affection for one another. We could learn a lesson from them to genuinely plug in. Right? They keep going. When God's people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This is life-on-life discipleship. This is do life with people. Here's how you do life with somebody. When they're happy, be happy with them. When they're weeping and they have sorrow and they're mourning, guess what? Get on their level and cry with them and have sorrow and mourning with them. Don't be too proud. I love this. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. You know, this is why we say connection with the church is, is one of the four critical pieces to our mission, right? You know our mission, right? You know the vision of the church is to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. What are the four ways that we do that, right? We say if we get people to be good at these four things, then we're going to be in good shape. And um, by the way, they're, they're big signs on each of the walls out here. In case you forgot, when you walk out, you can look at the big signs that are on each of the walls. Here's what we do, right? We, we, we encourage people to follow Jesus, We encourage people to connect to the community of the church. Three, we encourage them to grow. And then four is to live with purpose. Because we figure if we can get people to engage in those four, how many of you had all four of them? Wow, that's disappointing. And the signs are on the walls, guys. Like, it's on the wall. You just look at the wall. Like, oh, that's what that is. That's what that is, right? But we we do those four things. Because if we do those four things, then here's what happens. We dig in right? We're going to be better at bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus. But the second one in there, connect to the church. That's what this is. When God's people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Be happy with those who are happy. And and weep with those who weep and live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Don't think you know everything. This is part of this, like this is my encouragement. You heard Malia's announcement. Small groups are starting. You know, fall small groups are kicking off, and and this is why we say we want you to be part of a small group, because here's where it happens. Here's where you practice hospitality. Here's where you're ready to meet the need of God's people that are are struggling. Here's where you find out from me, um, and I'll ask, I mean, I can ask you here, but not everybody gets to stand up on stage and ask you here. Pray for me. Pray for my family. My, My family desperately needs your prayers. So I ask you to pray for me and pray for my family. And so I can say that to you because I get to stand up here. But you don't get to stand up here and share that with the entire church. But you know what? In the context of small groups, you do. In the context of small groups, you can pour yourself out. In the context of small groups, you can share, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I need. Here's here's what I, I need. Here's where I'm happy that you can celebrate and be happy in life with me. Here's where I have sorrow and mourning and weeping that I can have with you. Here's where we can practice living in unity and love and harmony together. And, and get, you know, some of you are like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. 
you don't know it all and you're not better than right but by the faith given to you think of yourself honestly don't pretend to love people really love them don't pretend to be a unifying force in the church but really be a unifying force in the church always be eager to practice hospitality but you're like Matt I don't feel like it I know remember justification is surrender sanctification is obedience that's the thing right justification in Christ um, we talked about that way back in week two justification in Christ is surrender I surrender I can't do it on my own I surrender but sanctification what we're talking about now this is obedience in growing up I know man I don't feel like it either sometimes I don't feel like it either sometimes but this is how we grow this is how we are transformed and when we're transformed God will actually change the way that we think that's the way that this works that's the answer the answer for everything guys is Jesus what can fix a world that's corrupted by sin what can take the mess you've made out of your life and turn it around what can transform relationships that are broken what can help you break free from the struggles of sin that you have in your life? What helps you be transformed into somebody that's a force for the kingdom? It's the best Sunday school answer ever. How many of you ever taught Sunday school? Little kids in Sunday school, right? You ask a question to a little kid in Sunday school and you get three answers. Who knows what they are? Jesus, the Bible, and Moses. For us, it was always Moses, right? It was Jesus, the Bible, or Moses. And so even if they had no idea what the answer was, you'd get one of those. It was always Jesus first. You're like, well, who parted the red? Jesus! I'm like, well, I mean, technically, I guess you're kind of right. Yeah. Jesus was the answer. This is the best Sunday school answer ever. Who can do that? Who can fix a broken world? Who can make something good out of the carnage in your life? Who can fix? Who can transform? Who can change the way you think to break the bondage of sin, to move you on? Who does that? Jesus. Jesus does that. That's what we celebrate. And we're going to take communion, actually, and, and that's what we're going to do with communion, is we're going to celebrate that Jesus has given us the power over death. Jesus has given us power over sin. Jesus has given us freedom from the struggle. We surrender, and when we surrender, he looks at us. And Mark told us this last week. When we surrender, he looks at us, and he says, you are my child. You are loved. You are my friend. Even if your life is in shambles, even if you're stuck in, in habitual sin, even then, when you genuinely surrender to the God of the universe through the cross, Jesus says to you, God says to you, you are my friend, you are my child, you are forgiven, you are justified. But then, the power of the cross also gives us the, the power to change and grow. How? By digging in in obedience and letting God change the way that we think. It's called transformation. It's being different tomorrow than you are today. Some of you need to take hard stock of your life. And you need to ask yourself a legitimate question. Right? Don't think of yourself better than you are. That's Paul's words. Don't just pretend to love people. Knock that off. Don't think you're better than they are. Right? Don't be too good to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't, don't be that way. Give yourself this honest thing. From the moment you became a Christian... Is your life drastically transformed? 
Matt, how do I know if it's transformed? Because if it's transformed, then you will really pursue love and unity in God's church. You're like, I love my family really well. Yeah, that's great. You know what God says, right? Jesus says this in the Gospels. He says, you say, oh, look, I, I love my kids. I give them good gifts. Even sinners do that, right? But love and unity that you pursue in the church. Relationships that are other-focused. Take an honest look in the mirror, because if from the moment you became a Christian to the moment that you are now looking in the mirror, if you're not drastically different, then can I offer you the advice, Christian, that Dr. Randy Bankstrom gave me when I sat in his office. I said, I'm a good student, I promise you. You're like, I'm a Christian. I've surrendered to Jesus. Okay, then act like it. He told that to me, and it was, it was um, as ridiculous as it sounds, it was groundbreaking and earth-shattering, and it saved probably what God wanted to do in my life. Because there's no way that I'm standing up before you uh, as a pastor that I am opening God's word and I'm sharing it that I would even understand it as well as I do if I wasn't able to start putting into practice um, things that he had put in me. Like, hey, you're good at this. Well, I needed to live it out. I needed to be obedient in that, right? I'm, I'm not your pastor if I can't get through bachelor's, my bachelor's degree at Augustana College, right? I doubt sincerely that the search team would have said, you know what, Matt? We know that you failed out of college, but would you please come here and teach us things? Probably not. So for me, that, that advice and that admonition was earth-shattering and groundbreaking, and it mattered. And I wonder for you, if, if you're saying, man, yes, I believe that I've surrendered to Jesus, but no, my life isn't different, then here's what I'm going to say to you. Act like you're a Christian. And see as you act like it how God doesn't transform you. And we can do that because of what he's done for us on the cross. Ask the elders to come forward. The men that are going to help us serve, ask the praise team to come forward. And we're going to take communion together. And communion is simple. It's a simple thing um, where we, uh, we partake in, in the cup and, and we partake in the bread. And as we do that, we're remembering what Christ has done for us. And what he's done for us is he has made a way for us to be right with the God of the universe. He has fixed, through the cross, he has fixed what was broken. Through the cross, he's turned chaos into peace, rebellion into relationship. Through the cross, he has fixed what you need in your life so that you can say, okay, I am now a friend of God. And on top of that, not only am I a friend of God, but I can grow to be more and more like him, and he can change the way that I think, and he can change who I am. Remember Romans 12, 1 says, you're going to be a new person. All because of the cross. All because Jesus did this for us. Um, we practice communion simply. Uh, the way that, that Jesus talked about it, the way that Paul taught it, it says on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples. That's us, followers of Christ. He gathered with his disciples and he broke the bread and he passed it around and he said, eat this. This is my body. It's broken for you. And that's exactly what happened, right? We, we eat the bread to remind us the same way Jesus taught that, it, that his body was broken and he was a sacrifice on the cross for our sinfulness. And in the same way, the word tells us that he, that he poured the wine and, and, and he passed the cup and he said, here, drink this. This is a reminder, too. This is my blood that's poured out. It's this new covenant so that we can know that he is this sacrifice 
the perfect spotless lamb sacrificed to take away the sins of the world and that we, through the blood of Christ, are forgiven. We are justified. And because we're justified, we can engage in this process of transformation, of sanctification. When we take communion today, we're committing, right? That's what we do. That's why we say communion is, you don't have to be a member of Blessed Hope Church. We just ask that you be a follower of Christ because that's what you're doing. You're saying, as you take the bread and you drink the juice, you're saying, thank you. Thank you for my justification. And I'm committed to engaging in sanctification. That's what you're saying as you come. So would you pray with me? And we'll do this. I'm going to ask you today, sometimes you take it and sit back down. Today I'm just going to ask you to take it um, and then quietly exit as you do. Um, you can sit back down and, and be prayerful if you'd like, but, but you don't need to feel obligated. You can just quietly leave the sanctuary while other people finish. Um, and I want you to reflect on the song that the praise team is going to be singing. This is just a simple song. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a heart's prayer, right? Surrender and obedience. I have decided to follow Jesus. Okay? I will give you this one note that has nothing to do with anything else except some of you, if you don't mind helping. Um, after everyone leaves the sanctuary, we need to get all these chairs out of here. We need to stack them up and we need to move them out. And Shauna may need some help downstairs. We're having all the carpets cleaned. Um, and turns out that it's more effective if there isn't stuff everywhere. So I should have said that earlier because that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now, but I forgot and Steve was going to get mad at me. So, all right, let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your body and blood. Thank you so much that the answer to the question, who can fix it all? Who can take the havoc and the wreckage and the carnage of my life and who can make me a child and friend of God? The answer is Jesus. Thank you for the truth of the cross. Thank you that you willingly laid down your life and sacrificed your body, that it was broken for us. And Father, we thank you for the blood that was poured to cover us in righteousness. And we thank you that you picked your life up again and burst forth from the grave, promising that death has been conquered and that there is new life for those of us that surrender and follow. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for these things. Amen.